It's just the marketing. The accounting for you as you're servicing them is the exact same, but your niching and your marketing and your selling is unique to each of those industries. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 378 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. The book In the Black outlines nine principles that allow you to make your accounting practice more profitable. Alf Bestrom, renowned as the Turnaround King, developed these nine principles and then his son, Alan Bostrom, wrote these down in the book In the Black. We discussed the first principle last. Nothing happens until there's a sale. So today... Let's discuss the remaining two marketing principles, the medium and long-term action steps with Roger Connect of the Universal Accounting Center in Utah. Let's start by asking Roger Connect how ELF actually operated and then move to the two marketing principles that we haven't discussed yet. Do you mind if I ask you about Alf Bostrom? Because I understand he bought a number of businesses in his lifetime and turned them around. Can you fill me in on that? Certainly. So I think the better description would be Alf was known as what's referred to as the turnaround king. That was his nickname in the area. Uh, essentially what he was doing is business coaching. He would go into companies, principally those that were actually in a state of possible bankruptcy, and he would offer his services. And one of the things that he would try to do is help them realize that with his help, he can turn them around. And so generally speaking, you've got a business that's in a position that's about to lose everything, possibly a you know their home. They've maybe mortgaged that. They are going to un employ a number of employees. And so you're in a situation where all of a sudden he's coming in and offering, hey, give me some equity in the business, but I'm going to work to turn this around. And when the business owner is realizing they have nothing to lose, they're more than happy to actually collaborate with him. And in doing so, he was able to take numerous businesses from the brink of bankruptcy and turn them around to where even some of them exist today. How much equity did he put in? Did he basically buy the business or just put a small amount in? No, that wasn't a purchase. That was him being compensated for his time and efforts through shares. And so that was him acquiring equity in the company through the work that he was offering. Okay, so he was more of a consultant than somebody who actually bought the business and then turned it around, exactly. correct? Exactly, okay. yeah. In exchange for his, his services, he was acquiring equity. I see. Okay, good. So I misunderstood that. I thought he had actually bought the businesses and then turned them around one by one. No, he was more working with them as a business coach. Okay, good. And he is the one who then developed these principles we are discussing. Exactly. So the easiest way to kind of depict it is back in the 1970s, he was in a situation where there were companies that were paying for his services, people that were utilizing his training. And he, in the course, developed a curriculum that he would give to the clients. And it was simply because of the fact that when he would go into the business, he would want certain numbers in order to make decisions. But too often the businesses, as he started to work with them, didn't have the accounting information he needed, didn't have the numbers that were necessary. So he developed a curriculum to try and train the office manager, the staff, the owner, whomever it may be, to generate the numbers needed to run the business. And that curriculum that he created was eventually defined or named the professional bookkeeper program. Now, that back in the 1970s was something that he didn't have other people taking or going through that weren't his clientele. 
but he started to realize that there were people that wanted their staff to go through it, but not necessarily pay for his services. And so he being an entrepreneur realized, well, maybe what I ought to do is formalize this training and as a school offer the programs to individuals. And he did just that. So in 1979, he started Universal Accounting Center. And as he started the school, he began with the intent of training individuals that were office managers, accountants, bookkeepers, just individuals that needed to be involved at the small business level to help them understand what the small business owner needed to run their companies. So he basically started with accounting, whereas we started our discussion now with marketing. He basically started with accounting. Of course, yeah. So yeah, in his consulting, it was tough to advise or basically adjust or turn the business around without knowing what was happening. What was its history? What was its current situation and so forth? So this was just to give you some context. But now to action step number two for marketing, the medium term step, a good deal is only good if it's good for both parties. Marketing principle number two, medium term, a deal is only good when it is good for both parties. The deal is only good when it is good for both parties, but of course, we are human. We can only assess whether something is good as it is in our eyes. What we think is good for the other side might not see this way. So it really it really means a deal is only good when both parties think it is good for them, correct? Well, it, it is exactly what it says. A good deal is only a good deal when it's a good deal for both parties. They have to decide that for themselves. They have to decide, is this fair, good affordable, whatever they're using as the criteria for them to decide for them, whether or not it defines is, is defined as good. You have to represent yourself. See, one of the things that this is kicking back against is for some people, at least if you're old enough, you might be familiar with the phrase of the customer's always right. And that's wrong. Too often the customer takes advantage of the situations, manipulates the business and actually asks for a product or service at the cost of the business. It wasn't profitable. So what we've got to do is we've got to come up with, first of all, you, you represent the business. You are the benefactor, the steward, the guardian of the business. It is your job to take care of the business. If it is not a good deal for the business, you ought not do it. Now, this is a very important point because when a lot of people are first starting their businesses, oftentimes they are so eager for the business, they'll take on things that they later learn they ought not to have, that they later regret, all for the sake of, I got to sell today. And in reality, what happened is the person that I was on the other side wasn't as needy as you, and therefore they negotiated better than you, and therefore they got a better deal than the, than you ought to have given, and therefore they're taking advantage of you. What we're trying to say here is don't go in with regret. If you have a client that when it comes time to do the work, you would rather not, that you're going to procrastinate it, you would rather do someone else's work, another client of yours, you're not charging enough. Every client should be one that you're excited to do the work on, you enjoy doing the work on, you like what that business is, you like working with that client. Anytime you get to a point where you are trying to avoid a customer's call, avoid meeting with a client, avoid doing the work, if you feel underappreciated, then you're being taken advantage of. And so too often, I feel that this is overlooked. A deal is only a good deal when it's a good deal for both parties. This is not meant to be a whipping for you. What do you do when you have a client like that? Do you increase prices or do you let them go? 
Well, you can increase prices in an effort for them to go. Go. (laughs) There's a lot of people that will actually use that very strategy to let them go. So rather than saying, I can't service you any longer, they they just say, my fees to do your work are double. And they say, well, I can't afford that. And they leave. So uh, that strategy is a way of getting rid of them. But the point is, is yes, there are clients that you need to fire. There are clients that you need to let go of. There are clients that honestly, it's not healthy for you mentally, for you financially. And at the end of the day, you've got to respect your needs and the business's needs and you represent the business. So you've got to stand up for the business and say enough is enough and be willing to do that. I was wondering in my head why this is medium term, because I would think one needs to have that in the back of their mind when you hire your first client. But I think it's medium term because you first need to have clients to realize actually this is not working. So the the second point is really kind of review what you have, review the clients you have and the work you do for them and then assess what is working and what isn't working, correct? You're 100% right. Yeah. In order to actually assess what's going on, you've got to look back at what you've already done. So a good deal is not a good deal. You could do that with your very first client and you can with when you're listing out your services, clearly define what it is you do and what your your fees are. And if you hold to those, Odds are you're going to be all right. But after three, four, five months, you can reflect and say, was that actually a good deal? Looking back with 2020 hindsight view, am I able to still say it's good? And so that's why it's the second thing. Go get a sell and then we're going to figure out, did it actually still meet that criteria? Now, taking the sell, I hope that you did it right. But this is a way to kind of assess that in hindsight. And that's why it's sitting under marketing and not not under production. Because my first thought was, why is it not under production? You know, when I review the work I'm doing and whether it's matched by the price, shouldn't that be under production? But I assume that's probably marketing, you know, looking at the services we provide and then the price we collect, that is part of marketing and sales, correct? It is, and I can even explain it further. The reason why it's existing in this section of marketing is because you're having to go back to first and foremost, your list of services and figure out, should you be doing that service? I don't like it. It takes too long. Should I price it differently? My pricing is wrong. I'm undervaluing what this is worth. I need to raise my prices or I'm not going to do it unless I make this much money doing it. So you've got to go there. You also have to go to your letter of engagement. You may find in your letter of engagement that there's a miscommunication. Your client is understanding something that you didn't intend, and you need to clear that up in your letter of engagement. You have to take the time to go back to the beginning and see what is it that caused that miscommunication and fix it there so that you don't do it with the next client and the next client and the next client. So it's a good deal for both parties at that beginning stage. So you're going all the way back to the marketing and sales, how you're positioning yourself, how you're pricing yourself, what you're saying when you're explaining your services, because we all have a tendency to kind of embellish or oversell. Well, let's make sure we're not doing that so that we're not setting too high of a bar. We want to set a lower bar so that we can over deliver and make our clients happy. Well, that's only if you're setting the bar in the right place so that you can do that. Marketing principle number three, long-term. Grow your business geometrically. The third area of marketing is grow your business geometrically. And I'm not sure what geometrically means. So it would be great if you could elaborate. Happy to. So geometrically is different than vertically. Vertically is doing more of the same. 
You want to get more of what you're already doing, more, more, more. Geometrically is to look at what are your clients willing to pay for that you can now offer to your clients that you're not currently providing. So it's very natural for a bookkeeping business to recognize, you know what, I think my clients would actually appreciate and pay for accounting services. You know what, my bookkeeping clients that I'm servicing throughout the year, I think if I actually could, they would pay me to file their tax returns. I've got all the numbers. Why don't I just learn how to fill out the forms and where to submit them and I can do the tax return. There's a lot of complimentary services in the accounting space that once you're in business for some time, you start to identify what else will your clients pay for. A very common one today is obviously CFO or advisory services. Once you've worked with a client for a period of time, you get somewhat of an intuitive feeling for what's going on in the business and a perspective that you can bring to the client. Well, if you're willing to have that type of relationship with your client, you can easily now couple with your bookkeeping and accounting some CFO and advisory services that are additional revenue streams for your business. It's an additional service that you're now providing that you didn't offer last year. So now all of a sudden on your P&L, you have a line item for bookkeeping services. You've got a line item for accounting services. And this year you're offering tax services. This year you're offering CFO and advisory services. It's a whole new revenue stream that's coming in that didn't exist before. This term geometrically, I've never heard it. Is it something that is quite common in the US and it's just different English via speaking? Or is it also not very common in the US and you created this word basically? I'm not going to say we created it. I believe the term does exist in the dictionary. However, we are using it in a business context in a unique way. We are bringing it to the business model as a great way to grow the business when you're assessing what your clients are currently paying for and what more you can bring to the table that they'd be willing to pay for. So it is us bringing to the business model a new concept. And the word horizontal doesn't, you know, when, because you, you mentioned the word vertical, so as contrast, horizontal doesn't fit the bill. No, I, it doesn't because when we teach this, we typically teach it in more of a quadrant type thing. It's a square wherein you're looking at different areas and generally speaking the columns line up as new client and existing client and current product and new product so it's this quadrant where you're able to identify where you should be going next in your business and so because of it being dimensionally not a horizontal thing it kind of expands we use the term geometric to define it i see okay good so to just imagine this you have a square with a with a cross in it And then on one axis, you have product and on one, one axis, you have client. And then you have new, new, and then, yeah. You have your existing, existing customer where you're providing an existing service. Well, yeah. could you take that service that's existing to a new customer base? But conversely, you have a new product and an existing product. And you describe that perfectly. So, yes. So that basically means the field and the bottom left would be existing clients with an existing product and the field in the top right would be new clients with a new product and then the other two fields are the other two options accordingly, correct? Exactly, exactly. And what that then allows for a discussion is for you to recognize which is the easiest for you to do. Is it easier for you to take a new product to an existing customer or is it easier to take an existing product to a new customer? Okay, but the least easy is to take and try and find a new customer offering a new service. And so that's what you mean when you say grow your business geometrically. That basically means just put your business into this model of the four fields 
and work out where you want to go. You know, whether you want to expand into new products, whether you want to expand into new clients, you know, where, where do you want to focus on? Yeah, let me give you what a quick example. Imagine that I am niching my, my accounting services and I'm servicing dentists. Well, if I'm working with dentists, my current product is accounting services to dentists. Well, what if I did the same product accounting, but to a new client? And I say, you know what? I'm going to niche my dentist, but I'm going to now do a new customer and it's going to be orthodontist, or I'm going to go to a person that specializes in wisdom teeth extraction. Well, obviously an orthodontist is very similar to a dentist. They're not the same, but they're similar enough. And I'm providing the exact same service accounting. So the same product, but a new niche. And I'm going to take my marketing materials and I'm going to target my clientele that I've been doing in accounting or in dentistry. And I'm going to tweak the marketing, my sales, my pricing, and I'm going to now target orthodontist. Well, that just makes logical sense. But this is an assessment that I've done after doing dentist for say a year or two, and I'm well-established, got a good client base. And I'm deciding, well, how do I grow my business? Well, I'm going to grow my business by creating an entirely new service for orthodontists. Pretty comfortable migration or implementation. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. When it comes to tax talks, I'm no podcaster, but I am an accountant. And every day I advise on claims and deductions. Trouble is, I hadn't been looking after my own business. Well, with the government's tech rebate ending soon, I signed up to DocuSign and I've gone 100% digital. It streamlined everything from onboarding to invoices. Now I kind of wish I'd taken my own advice sooner. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Can I just use that example you just used and actually go slightly off topic because you spoke about niching or niching and that is a very relevant and hot topic. You mentioned going from a dentist to an orthodontist. That narrowing down of a niche makes sense to me, assuming that orthodontists have different problems, possibly use different software, etc. So that niche makes sense. But if you then niche further into somebody who does wisdom teeth extraction, the people who specialize in wisdom teeth extraction most likely don't have problems that are different to other dentists. Hence, I would think that is a narrowing of a niche that doesn't make sense because that niche doesn't have problems different to dentists in general. Whereas If orthodontists use different software, have different problems, then it does make sense of niching into that. So my question is basically going further deep down into a niche only makes sense if the problems of this niche are different to other people. Do you agree with me? I actually do not. I understand where you're coming from, and I do see why you're saying that, but I'm going to disagree, and I'm going to use the same example of orthodontist and a wisdom tooth extraction company. So dentistry is typically covered as a um, an insurance-based type thing. You can generally get insurance that covers dentistry, but when you go to an orthodontist, they're generally not working with insurances. It's an elective type thing with braces and so forth, the cosmetics, the dentures and such. And so that's being paid by the customer rather than through an insurance. So the business models are clearly different. I get your point there. So that yes. makes sense. Two different business. But let's go now to the wisdom teeth extraction. Let's assume, and I don't know how it is necessarily in, in Australia, but let's assume that it's an elective surgery, not, a, not covered by insurance. So it's paid by the customer. 
But my point is this, even though it's similar to the orthodontist in my example, and the accounting software may be the same, the payment processes and so forth the same. The problem is, is when I'm out marketing, I'm marketing to orthodontists and the wisdom teeth extraction company says, but I'm not an orthodontist. And so they don't resonate to the marketing that I'm providing. So my niching resonates with the orthodontist. They believe that I'm specializing in their industry. They're open to talking to me about doing their accounting. They don't know that the accounting is the exact same thing for the wisdom teeth, tooth extraction company, but I do. I know it's the same process. I don't have to learn a new software. I don't have to do anything different in the business model. It's the same business, but I know my marketing doesn't resonate with the wisdom teeth extraction owner. So I have to go into my, my marketing and I've got to go in and put in new vocabulary. It's not that my deliverables changed, my marketing's changing. And so I'm niching differently. And so now I've got three different marketing campaigns with three different marketing strategies with three different audiences I'm targeting, two of which use the same business model, same accounting processes, same systems. They don't know it. My marketing is different to each of them. Though. Does that help? Yes, it does help. And actually the way you describe it, it does make sense to niche into wisdom teeth extraction because by what you say is that is paid privately, hence it's a different system. If wisdom teeth extraction is just a covered service like any other dental service, then it wouldn't make sense to niche into wisdom teeth extraction. <laughs> We're talking a lot about the dentistry here. But do you see what I mean? In Australia, it's covered just as any other dental service. Hence, in Australia, it wouldn't make sense to just focus on wisdom teeth extraction because that's just what dentists do in general and it's covered like anything else by private health insurance. But in your case, where dental work is covered, but wisdom teeth extraction is not covered, then of course, I do understand that there is a different problem than different business model and hence it would make sense. Yeah, but we can go uh, into numerous industries and show the same example. You can go into chiropractic and in chiropractic, there's certain services that may be covered by insurance, but in some instances they can be homeopathic and more natural based, and therefore they may not be covered by insurance. And so this one might be a chiropractor that caters to a certain clientele. But when you're marketing accounting services, they may be the exact same accounting models. They totally may be. But as a business owner, they want to know that you work with homeopathic chiropractors where the other one wants to say you work with more of a traditional chiropractor. It's just the marketing. The accounting for you as, as you're servicing them is the exact same, but your niching and your marketing and your selling is unique to each of those industries. Okay. A debit is still a debit and a credit is still a credit to both of them. Okay, good. So you are saying it doesn't necessarily need to have different problems. Correct. That is my point. Yes. Welcome back. So these were the last two principles for marketing. In the next episode, we will cover the three principles for production. And then after that, accounting. But before we leave, if you're interested... At the start of the interview, I asked Roger Connect some questions about the Universal Accounting Center and Alf and Alan and Roger himself, just to better understand where he's coming from to get some context. So here's what Roger told me. Happy to. So Universal Accounting Center, we're a post-secondary school for accounting professionals. We basically work with individuals to help them in their career. 
as well as starting and building accounting businesses. Alf Bostrom happens to be the founder of the company. He started it back in 1979. And as the founder, he basically started as a traditional school with uh, some classes, courses, and curriculum that were being offered at the time. We've since grown, and uh, I'm the third president of the school. I've been president now for probably about 10 years now. And as president of the school, I obviously oversee basically all the operations and so forth. Scott Stevenson has been one of my business coaches. So I've worked with him over the years, and uh, he has basically helped the previous president, Alan Bostrom. He was the son of the founder. And then uh, after Alan retired, Scott Stevenson was someone I also worked with over course of a number of years as a business coach while I was president. And so UAC, who owns that? Are you the 100% shareholder or is it private equity who owns this? It's basically four principal owners. I'm one of them. Alf has passed. So Alf and Betty, his wife, they were uh, principal owners of the company. After their passing, those uh, shares passed down to the family. Some of the family has been bought out. The other uh, members of the family, one of which is still employed with the company, Alan, obviously being the second president, he had uh, a good share of the company and at the same time inherited some. So he's the principal shareholder currently, but uh, I actually might hold uh, the second amount, I believe. Is it mainly accountants who come to your school or is it any small business owner who attends your school? I love it. So I'm, I'm going to keep it simple. About a third of the people that we work with do not have formal education in accounting. So they may have accounting backgrounds, accounting experience, they, but they maybe didn't get their accounting degree, let's say, in school. So we do work with quite a few individuals that have an interest in accounting and career-wise are pursuing that. In fact, we have people that are starting their bookkeeping businesses or tax businesses with really no formal prior training. About a third of our training is with individuals that have, let's say, oh, maybe their accounting degrees, maybe they have experience. So they definitely have a background in accounting. And then the last third happens to be basically a group of CPAs, enrolled agents, accounting professionals that want to specialize in accounting services. They're just trying to further their education. So whether they're transitioning from, let's say, the corporate world into private just is the next step in their career. So as a post-secondary school, easily two-thirds of the individuals that we're working with have some background in accounting. I'd be very comfortable saying that most of the individuals we work with are, say, 30 to 55 in age. Definitely further along in their careers, they've basically come to a point where they're ready for a new step, whether it's finding employment or starting or building their business. Why do people come to UAC? My initial thought was that it is mainly accountants who are running their own practice who come to you, but it's actually, yeah, is it that? Good question. So the easiest way to answer it is over the years, it, it differs year to year as to who's enrolling in which program. So for example, we have a lot of people that will actually in a recession period of time want to supplement their incomes and therefore they start an accounting, bookkeeping or tax business and they're trying to generate revenue on the side of, of employment or they're perhaps motivated to start a business in accounting and bookkeeping. And so we're working with people that are principally trying to start their companies. So they're learning from us 
in, through various programs that we offer, how to market and sell accounting services, how to price accounting services, how to actually onboard clients, how to actually service with them, meeting their, their needs as a client from this accounting firm. Now, we also work with established accounting firms where we're working with the business owner to maybe complement the services that they're currently providing. You brought up profit and growth expert. There's been a move in the last number of years of people wanting to transition into CFO and advisory services. And so it's not uncommon for a firm to designate an individual in the business to now take on more of a CFO role with their clientele and generate additional revenue that way. And so we'll have those people go through our CFO type courses that we have. Some of those are meant to teach how to market and sell CFO and advisory services. Another course is designed to specifically show you how to fulfill or work with the client providing those services. And then for staff training, firms that want to train their individuals to perhaps certify them in bookkeeping, tax, QuickBooks. Obviously, you've got quality staff. They're probably loyal. Well, what we want to do is obviously get the staff trained to where they're efficient. And so we're working with them as uh, staff training, basically investing in those that are already employed in the business. So is it fair to say that basically you assess a need in the market and then you bring an expert in who can cover, explain that problem, how to solve it? You present this as a course and then your students can book this course. Yeah. So let me give you an example. You kind of alluded to it. We have a book that's called Red to Black. And for some accounting firms, one of the things that they will experience is a lot of the clients may be experiencing cash flow problems. And so it's a very common issue that exists in business. And so as an accounting professional, it's expected that you'll actually work with your clients to address cash flow situations. Well, this book is specifically designed to address how an accounting firm would go in and work with that client to take them from red to black. Well, a related course to that book is meant to actually help the accounting professionals see how to apply the principles from the book Red to Black with their clients and more importantly, actually go through the process of assessing the need, determining the service cost because you can do value pricing with this and in the end actually provide a service where you're going to work with the client to eliminate a lot of their expenses and put them in a position where they're cash positive. And which courses do you present? Do you present any of these courses or are you just purely the director or do you the red to black course? Good question. There are some of which I'm the instructor and as the instructor, I'm typically assigned to the individuals as their coach, their tutor in implementing the things that are taught in the curriculum. So I'm not the instructor of all the classes. I'm definitely not an expert in everything where you'll typically find that I'm the instructor. I teach the course red to black. I teach the course in the black. I teach the course profit and growth expert, which is addressing marketing sales of accounting and, uh, bookkeeping, as well as CFO services. I also teach the Universal Business Builder curriculum where we actually show how to provide CFO and business coaching or advisory services. So um, just off the, well, actually I do a time management course. So there's actually quite a few actually. Just did a value or a vision board course that uh, we released last year. Yeah, my mind's swimming with the number of ones that I've actually been the instructor of. And when you use the word coach a number of times. Is coach limited to presenting the material or is it actually coaching where you check in with the students once a week, once a month, check progress, etc.? Beautiful question. So the coaching varies as to what it is that the student is paying for, but I'll keep the answer simple. All of the curriculum that what someone enrolls in with Universal Accounting Center 
includes their being assigned an instructor, tutor, or coach, which is to say that when they're going through all of the curriculums that we provide, they will have access to an individual by phone, email, or both, so as to ask questions about the content, the implementation of the various things. There is another level of coaching that they provide where they can have direct access to me and two of my colleagues where we will actually work with them on a weekly and monthly basis. And so we're basically there to help them not only just learn the content, but literally implement it, take it to their clients, and more importantly, do so with a good deal of confidence. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 379, Roger Connect of the Universal Accounting Center in Utah will talk about the three principles of production outlined in the book In the Black by Alan Bostrom. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.